Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So, we've been in this series looking about how God has got a kingdom in heaven and then he made a place called earth and he decided that what he wanted to do was to have earth be like a colony of heaven that he was going to put some people on it who would rule instead of him if you like or for him on that place he made them to be like the kings and queens who would rule and reign he actually gave them the word that he gave them for authority dominion is kingdom he gave them kingdom and he said now you've got kingdom over this place that you're in and I want you to to king it there I want you to queen it there I want you to rule in those in those places and that's what he put the first humans on earth to do and actually he's never changed his mind we've been hearing about all his plans about what he's got for the earth and he hasn't changed his mind and his plans about what he's got for people either he still wants the same thing for us and even though they failed his purpose will never fail so we looked at how Last week we should make that kingdom our priority too, that Jesus said that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then we'll have nothing to worry about. In fact, we're not permitted to. He, the, the words that he used were set up, we, we heard this last week, as a command. Do not worry. You're not allowed to. Don't even begin to worry, he said, because why? Your father, your heavenly father knows what you need. He already knows about it. So this morning, if you were at one of the IV morning services, you will have looked at this new series that we're doing called Four Points. It's a great series to be able to bring people along to at any of our services in the morning to be able to help people understand what's the good news, what's the, the gospel really all about that we talk about and get so excited about. And the, this morning, the, the, the reading that we looked at, um, in, I, I imagine in most of the places, was the incident of Jesus being tempted, being tempted by the devil, by the enemy. And he tried everything on Jesus that he tried on Adam and Eve. He tried the same thing because he's not actually that imaginative and because it works. It works. The, thing, the temptations that, that he, he gave are common to everybody. The Bible actually says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. The temptations are always going to be the same. And so he aims his temptations at Jesus because he knows that they work. Do you know why I can say they work? Because they work on me. Time and time again, I've been tempted in these different ways and I, in all of these different ways, I've failed. He aims his temptations at three things. The body, the soul, and the spirit. Because he wants to rule over you, rather than have you rule over you. Certainly rather than have God rule over you. But if you can learn to increasingly rule over your body and your soul, and your spirit, then you'll be able to do what Romans says we should be able to do, which is to reign in life through Christ Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, we keep going back to the beginning because it's so instructive for us. The devil came and he spoke to these 
the first humans, the king and queen of Eden, the king and queen of the earth, Adam and Eve, King Adam and Queen Eve, stood before the tree that they weren't supposed to be standing in front of. They just happened to be there. And who's ever found themselves in a place where they knew they really shouldn't be? And they were standing by that tree, hanging around by that tree that they were told that they weren't to go near. And guess what? They were in the vicinity of the place where they shouldn't be and temptation came calling. And, and attacks the queen, first off. The king standing next to her. And asked her questions to confuse her. Mixes in some truths, some half truths. So as she looked at the one tree, the only tree that they'd been told, you're not to eat from out of all of the other trees all the places you can go and all the things you can do you can rule and reign everywhere all those other places he comes to tempt the same way and here's the three temptations clearly laid out you can count them along with me verse 6 of this of Genesis chapter 3 when the when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was number one good for food Two, pleasing to the eye. And also three, desirable for gaining wisdom, to make her feel wise. She took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Because Adam's standing right alongside her in this picture, by the way, like this, like men often are. <laughs> we have a word called a gawp. He's like standing there like a gawp at this point. I'm not sure it's in Hebrew. But that's what he's doing. She is like, I wonder how this will work out. <laughs> like I say, the temptation is not original. He always appeals to, number one, your appetites. That's the fight for the body. Number two, he wants to tempt you in the area of your emotions. How you feel. Your heart. That's the fight for your soul. Number three, your pride. That independent, I know best, don't tell me what to do. I can figure it out for myself, streak, that I know you have because I know I have it. Now, Eve wasn't starving. She could have eaten fantastic fruit, all kinds of stuff. Anywhere she looked, she had everything that she could have wanted. Surrounded by all kinds of wonderful things. So number one is a temptation that she could have resisted straight away. The fact that it looked good could have been discounted by her by remembering that God had said, what? It's not good. No matter how she felt about it. And finally, when a talking snake appeals to your pride and tells you that you know better than God... It's never wise to listen. But she did. And he tempted her body, her soul and her spirit. And Eve listened and looked and took and ate. And then she died. And all her children died with her. Because at that point death entered. And became the natural state of humanity. That we live and we die. Sinning. As sinners. Because death and rebellion 
came in. Just as God had warned them, it would happen. The devil promised them the world and then suckered them because they lost the world. He took the keys of the kingdom away. He took the crowns off their heads and put them on his own thorny head. Horny head, sorry. They, they lost everything that they had. Gave it all away. Traded it all away for, for nonsense, for nothing. And so they were no longer the king and queen. In 1979, the Shah of Iran went into exile. He lived for years in Egypt, so he could never go back there. Shah means king, but it was just a title because he wasn't a king anymore because you can't be a king if you haven't got a kingdom. It, it was a title, but no territory. You have to have territory to be a king. You've got to have a kingdom if you're going to be a king. A king is only a king if he has a kingdom. If you've been coming along to these evenings, you'll know how important that is to get hold of. There must be a place, there must be a location to rule and to exercise rule over. And what they in fact did, as we've been describing here week by week, is they gave away the kingdom that had been entrusted to them right there. They were formed, they were made, they were entrusted to rule as stewards as if God was there himself. They were fully authorised to act on his behalf to extend the colonisation of the earth by heaven from Eden everywhere. But now mankind lost the mandate and the gift, the ability to be able to do that, the divine power that made it possible. They had to leave the land. They were exiled out of Eden. The place where they were meant to live as kings and queens forever. And they ended up barred from eating the other tree. That actually they were made to eat from. The tree of life. Instead they became dead man and woman walking. In Ephesians 2, there's some great news if you're ready for some good news. The Apostle Paul is describing how Christians were rescued by Jesus, how, they, how we got brought back, bought out of death and sin. But again, if you look at verse 3, you'll see the tempting trio right here again. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, and don't say you didn't, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? The, the, Satan, the devil. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So there are some sons who are called sons of disobedience. And the devil works in them. Among whom we also once conducted ourselves in, number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the desires of the flesh. Number three, the desires of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Something happened to humanity. It's become these people who are now sons of disobedience. It's passed down from generation to generation. You can try and be better, but you're not going to get much better. There's no point blaming your parents because you're just going to repeat the same stuff anyway, whatever they were like. James 3.15 contrasts these temptations with the true wisdom that comes from God from heaven. He identifies them as earthly, sensual, demonic. You can see again these three 
This, these three ways in which we end up coming under attack on our body and our soul and our spirit. And the Apostle John, he writes something very similar when he warns us not to love the things of the world in 1 John 2.15. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's like there's a contrast here. There's, there's, an, there's a choice for us to make. For all that is in the world, the number one, lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. And number three, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So when Jesus came to earth, he came to bring heaven with him. That's what he brought. And this is so vital for us to get hold of. That's why I'm bringing this teaching week by week as much as I possibly can because it's so important that we get hold of this stuff about the kingdom and who we're meant to be and who we were made to be because it's been so misunderstood, especially by the church. I don't even think we've preached a fraction of the true gospel. Jesus came to forgive us our sins and to give us a fresh start and all of that is wonderful and true and it's amazing. Never want to get over that. But he also came from our Father in heaven so that the kingdom could come and be restored to the earth. He came to save the world. That includes us. The one that the Bible calls the second Adam was here to win back, to pay the price, to redeem by paying the greatest price at the cross everything that had been bought and sold and stolen away by our first father and mother, by the, the very first humans who sold it all so cheaply, who gave it away at Eden. Jesus Christ came to restore sons and daughters, not just to forgive sinners. It's great that he forgives sinners. He's a friend of sinners. I'm glad he's my friend. But I'm also a restored son. I'm not just a forgiven sinner. I'm a restored son of a heavenly father. And he wants me to rule. He wants me to reign in life. He doesn't want life just to reign over me. He wants me to be a person who exercises authority on his behalf. He wants me to be able to to, do the, to have the kingdom back. He's come to bring the... The king has come bringing the kingdom with him. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Come and grab it. Take hold of the kingdom in your situation. But before that could happen, before I could ever do that, he needed, he had to defeat the one who the Bible says held the power of death. He had to deal with the matter of our sin, our rebellion, the rebellion of the hu whole human race, the treason in the garden. We call it the fall because they fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. Body, soul and spirit. And if we're honest too, we would have done just the same. If it had been you and me standing there in front of that tree. And because none of us, because we can't save ourselves, because there's no human being that could save us, we needed a saviour far greater than ourselves. We needed somebody who wouldn't fall 
for the fall. In the mornings, um, Zoe and I listen to the Bible in one year, the app on our phones. We've started just reading it, and then we found that you can actually have Nicky Gumbel and um, uh, his wife Pippa read it to you, and they've got nice voices. He does sound a bit like Lord Charles. Who remembers Lord Charles? <laughs> He's kind of a silly ass. It's a bit like that. I keep expecting him to say that. But anyway, it's, it's great. And, um, and so he reads these notes, and then they have David Suchet, Poirot, without the accent, really nice voice, reading the Bible to you. It's great. So you can sit there and listen, and he, he does it all really well. And, uh, and because you're listening to it and not just reading it, or sometimes I'm doing both, sometimes the way in which it's set up, I, can hit, I get things because I'm listening that I might not even get if I was, I was reading it. And the other thing is the way in which it's set up and he's reading it means that it doesn't necessarily stop at one chapter like I might do if I was reading this chapter and then I'm done because I've done my readings because it just carries on through until the next chapter. And you know the chapter numbers are not holy, don't you? You know, they didn't get added in by the Holy Spirit. People put them in to help us to break it up so we know where we're at, so we can say John 3.16, and people not say, what's that? So, this was one of those readings. I was in the week, and it has one of those long lists of names in it. You know the bits in the Bible that we often skip through, if we're honest, or we just look for the funny names? The readings were all kind of linked together, with the theme of temptation, and I'm interested in this because it's, it's um, one of the, the passages um, similar to the one that was looked at this morning. And so I was kind of listening to that as well. And I'm listening to David Suchet's Silky Tones, reading Luke chapter 3. And I love how it starts because it describes how Jesus has just been baptised by John in the Jordan River. And he's returning from there and a very important thing happens at his baptism because he comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit comes down and descends upon him. And then he hears his father's voice. And his father says to him, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. So Jesus is the son of God and he knows it. How does he know it? Because his dad says so. How does he know? How does Jesus know he's the Son of God? Say it again. Because his dad says so. My dad. You know, I know who my dad was. He told me. And my mum confirmed it. <laughs> but my heavenly dad, I know who he is too. That's more important. Fathering is so messed up in our, in our land, in our nation, in the world, to be honest with you. It's Mother's Day. Remember reading in a, a guy called Gordon Dalby who wrote a book about men and sons and fathers, great book in it. And he says that there was a nun who was working in a prison and it was Mother's Day and so she put, bought all of these cards, Mother's Day cards, and said to the, uh, the guys in the prison, if you want, come to the chapel and we'll give you a Mother's Day card, you can write it and we'll post them off to your mum. Every card went. They had to go and get more cards. Everybody got the cards. So she thought, all right, well, it's Father's Day soon. I'll do the same. Father's Day, she said, anybody who wants to send a card to their father, um, there's free cards in the chapel. 
Nobody came. So we know how messed up human families and all of this can be. Anyway, the next thing David Suchet is reading out is the genealogy of Jesus. And there's some really well-known people and some people that you've never heard of and there's some people that get a good part of Bible and, and, and things like that and, and other people that you don't get to listen to. So I'm listening and I'm thinking, oh, he's got some important, famous type of people in there, yeah? This is how it, so listen carefully. This is how I was listening to it. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of, and then he goes through a few famous sons along the way, like in the middle, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, a bit further down, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham famous people and at the end the son of Noah the son of Lamech the son of Methuselah who lived just a long, long time the son of Enoch the son of Seth the son of Adam the son of God so Adam was the son of God wasn't he yeah Bible says it I'm believing it was that just so I know that people are still awake with, and with me so so Adam was the son of God yeah okay oh, there's a point to this and Seth was the son of the Son of God. In fact, the way, if you read through what happens, is interesting because it says that Adam was created in God's image. Then when it gets to Seth, his son, it says that Seth was created in the image of Adam. So it is the image of God, but it's slightly gone through something, hasn't it? Something's changed. Because actually what he's inherited now is a sinful nature. And the rest of them, all were sons of, well, they were the fallen sons of fallen men. Right the way back. And guess what? Each one of us is a, is a fallen son or daughter of fallen men and women all the way back. As far back as you want it to go. And I actually believe I go right back to Adam. We're in the same fallen line. All sons of that son of God. And if you just read by chapters, you'd stop there like I normally would do as well. But the chapter headings, like I say, are not inspired. So, it goes into the next chapter. And this just shows me something amazing. Why you should keep on reading the Bible, because it's just brilliant. And you're never going to get to the bottom of how amazing it is. Now, God's always going to keep on... You know, you think you've got to know a bit, and oh, I've read that bit, and it's like, yeah, read it again. I'd never spotted this before, and I expect God will do this all my life <laughs> if I keep on reading the Bible. He'll keep on showing me stuff that I'd never known before, like I did then, because it goes on. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So this, is, this carries on, yeah, from, from that list. But really, it's carrying on as well from what went before it about the baptism and God speaking to him and saying, you're my son and you am well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Actually, the word there is, is, is literally being, he was thrust out, he was thrown out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into a desert place, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So this isn't just like one incident. When he's, when in terms of these temptations, there's a 40-day long temptation. I'm not very good for 40 seconds. Jesus has been tempted for 40 days. 
He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. How was that for an understatement? The devil said to him, If you are the
distractions, there's what ifs, there's answers to this, there's think about that instead. This doesn't really matter, there's, uh, you know, oh, I feel a bit tired. There's a what problem. If, if what? If you are the Son of God. That's the first attack. Does Jesus know he's the Son of God? How do you know? Instead, and now the Bible is saying, 
theologians fight so much to be able to find what it means to what Jesus is fully human and fully God. He needed to save us. He was the Son, so it was thought. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus' birth, who his dad was, would be called into question since before he was born and throughout the whole of his life, even by the very first flawed man in that fallen land, Joseph. Is he really mine? The Pharisees would taunt him over it. They said to him, we know who our dad is. I'm not sure who yours is. They called him illegitimate. Jewish historians would stories and they would take their histories to discredit Jesus because people claimed him to be the son of Roman soldiers. Not just one, but a number of them. But the reason every attempt of the devil to tempt him failed, and this gives us the key of how we can resist this temptation too, whatever temptation it is when it comes to us is because he knew who his real dad was. He knew that. Are you the son of God? Man, here. Are you the son of God? Woman, are you the daughter of God? So, the devil keeps on asking Jesus, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, definitely. And I've come to his keys. What? Who's Jesus says, God is my father. I've come to get back the keys of the kingdom that you stole me. You stole them because you're a thief and a liar. You know those keys? The keys of the keys of death domain. They're not yours. I'm going to get them back. I've come to take them back. So I've come to give them back to the sons and the daughters of the kingdom. Because the church I'm going to create will be given the keys of the kingdom. That's what I've come to. When I to the church, your gates are going in. The reason the devil was defeated was that Jesus resisted him as a fully human son of God. And that isn't just a good example for us, it actually shows us how we can be in life. I'm not, I'm not convinced we're ever going to get to the point as a human being where we be sinless. I do think that the more we live like this, we will sin less. The devil took away Adam's keys. He took away his crown as the son of God. He made him a sinner. The first long line of sinners who were made to be winners. Who knows how to play chess? When you play chess, you always really go for the king and queen as soon as you can. Don't you? In fact, it's interesting to think the most powerful of the two to attack first in the garden, the evil one, was the queen. The most powerful piece on the board is the queen. Because once you get rid of the queen, you can really start to control the so he goes for the queen. The rest of the pieces on the board are okay, but they don't really matter. You go for the queen, you get her, and before long, you get the king. 
what the devil did when he played that game in the garden, and he took away their crowns. People everywhere, ever since then, became his pawns. This is the way the Bible describes it. Some of them might even be bishops. Some of them might be knights. Some of them might, might be apostles. Doesn't matter. Still pawns. He doesn't care as long as he controls the board. Well, you know, something amazing can happen in the game because Satan was playing against Jesus and he thought that he would win. He thought that he had won, but he lost because he didn't know he was playing. And now, because Jesus has won, any pawn, even the lowliest pawn who just keeps going, who just keeps going, who just keeps going, just keeps going, comes to a point when he stands there and he says, that's good, isn't it? Give me my crown. I'm not your pawn. I can move in any direction now. I've got authority now. I can go wherever I want. I can take territory back. I'm going to win. Do you see yourself as a pawn? Or do you get crown? Give me my crown. Give me my keys. The devil didn't know who he was up against. And now, when he, whenever he comes to tempt you, he doesn't know for sure. So he always wants to know what kind of a son of God you are. Are you the sinner's kind of son of God? Or are you the crowned one who holds the keys? What's your answer to that? What's it really, is he really like that Jesus, the son of God, would be defeated? No. So when you or I face temptation, the big question is do I face it as a sinner like Adam or like a son of God like Jesus? Sin nature, new nature. Do I fight sin and lose as a sinner, or do I win as a son, as a son or a daughter of God? So, so tonight I'm saying, why don't you just say, crown me, God? Isn't it amazing that He would do that? That He would love us enough to put a crown on our heads with all the stuff that we've done and all the ways in which we've messed up.
will be done on earth as it is in the report authority to speak now. Give them our daily bread. We don't have to turn anything stoned into it. Give us this day our daily bread. We can trust you for the needs of our body and our soul and our spirit. Forgive us our trespasses. We
cross, standing in being 